Welcome to ProctorCast, where we bring you plain English interviews all about the most relevant procurement topics of the day in short, coffee break-sized episodes. Because, hey, time's precious and you have got value to deliver. So now let's get straight into this week's show. Yes, we're live and a very warm welcome to the first ever live edition that we're doing of ProctorCast. ProctorCast is the official podcast of the Proctopus community. If you don't know what Proctopus is and you've just stumbled upon us on the internet or in your podcasting player, then do check us out on LinkedIn and have a look at what we do. We do events, we do virtual events, we do regular monthly virtual meetups, and uh, we also have an app where we can network among fellow procurement professionals. So today, our monthly episode is all around the topic, you know, New Year, maybe you're looking for a new job or considering uh, your different career opportunities that that there may be out there. January is always a good time to reflect and look at what the market may have in for us in 2022 and to dive into some of the trends and patterns that a couple of key people from the recruitment industry are seeing who are our guests today. Without any further ado, I will bring in my co-host who is Mr. Dave Jones. Hello, Dave. Hello. How's it going, James? Good, good, good. So Dave is a fellow Proctopus co-founder and is going to be co-hosting this one with me as well. He's actually got a bunch of great questions to ask our guests. So our guests today are Martin Smith from Talent Drive and Julie Edwards from Procure One, who are both UK-based specialist procurement recruiters. So very much a focus on the procurement and to some extent, the supply chain market. So ladies first, Julie, uh, if you want to give a quick introduction and then we'll uh, we'll pass it on to Martin. Hi, yeah, thanks, James. Appreciate that. Thanks for inviting me on. It's really great to kind of um, chat to you guys a bit more about careers, certainly in January, which is a, a great time to do that. I head up Procure One and we uh, specialise in recruiting procurement and supply chain professionals, predominantly across the Southern Home Counties in the UK. So working with a range of um, large, big blue chips and, and smaller SMEs to, to help them in their struggle to find uh, the best uh, procurement talent. So that's us in a nutshell. Awesome. Thank you, Julie. Martin? Yeah, thanks, Samuel, as well, James. Uh, Yeah, so Martin Smith, uh, MD of Talent Drive. So we were founded nearly three years ago. I've specialised in procurement supply chain recruitment now for uh, just over 12 years and um, work across the whole of the UK from buyer all the way up to sort of CPO level. So yeah, no, thanks for having me on the show. And you've grown quite a bit recently as well, haven't you, Martin? And back when we sort of first got to know each other, you were a one-man show and you've uh, you, you've expanded quite rapidly. So how many people are you now? So, yeah, we're four, soon to be six uh, from, from March 1st. So, yeah, no, it's... Um... Yeah, it's good. It's busy. Obviously, demand in the market, which I'm sure we'll come on to and talk about. But uh, yeah, no, onwards and upwards. Which just goes to show the market must be quite buoyant. Either that or <laughs> there's a lot of bad recruiters out there if you're expanding. So <laughs> I'll believe you'll read into that what you may. <laughs> so yeah, Dave, you, you, you put a, you shared a few questions in the LinkedIn chat before we went live. So do you want to, do you want to take a sort of take the bat on and, and jump in with what you'd prepared? Yeah, let's let's start with uh, with myths. So there's a lot of myths out there about recruiters, um, and in particular procurement recruiters. So, what myth would you like to dispel um, about uh, about recruiters? <laughs> Thanks, Martin. Um, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, 
I don't know. I think it's like any industry. There's good and bad. And, you know, it's a tough job, uh, recruitment. And I think the key for any job seeker in procurement or otherwise is to partner with specialist agencies that are trusted and have got reputation in the market. So I think, you know, the, the fact that you know recruiters might get a bad name for not being transparent, not communicating properly, I think just means that you're, you're chatting to the wrong recruiters. Certainly, it's a very small community. You get to know the good and the bad very, very quickly. And I think if you're, you know, you're a genuine person and you're, you're trying to add value to both um, a client seeking talent and also an individual looking for an opportunity, then, then yeah, you, you're going in the right direction. But certainly, if we did a bad job, Martin and I, we, we would get around very quickly. So, um, yeah, it's all about adding that value and having proper relationships that are, are longer term. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're not all bad. We <laughs> There's some good ones out there. <laughs> and you've got to sell yourselves to both um, clients and candidates as well. So it's quite a unique role, actually, from a sales perspective. To have yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, I think the other thing I would say in terms of a myth is I think we sometimes see it with candidates where they cast the net too wide. You know, this isn't a shameless plug to me or Julie and obviously talk to other respective uh, procurement recruiters. But I think if, if you talk to everybody out in the market and put on every job board and everything, it can end up just confusing your kind of process when you go through interviewing and when you're looking at jobs. The, the job market uh, you know, it's very busy for all of us out at the moment across all markets, not just procurement, across the wider sectors as well. So there is that demand. So I think the myth of, well, just speak to every recruiter and, and put your jobs, you know, apply lots of different jobs and stuff. Personally, wouldn't do that. Select a few true partners, you know, network with previous colleagues, ex-colleagues, you know, look at LinkedIn, you know, look at networking groups like like you guys, Proxpers and that sort of thing. That's where you're going to get true, you know, value add for, for your search in the marketplace. So I think that's the the big myth. The other one I'll just say, if I may, I was thinking about this just beforehand, Dave, when you sent me the questions. I think sometimes what we see is sometimes when a candidate applies for a job directly or for another recruiter, sometimes, not always, but sometimes they'll also go through you and they'll say, oh, well, duplicate the efforts gives me a higher probability of getting the job. That isn't the case. You annoy the recruiter. The client goes, why have we got the CV twice? It just doesn't reflect well. It seems to be something that's happening a little bit more. And that is probably one of the biggest myths that I'd be keen to, to use your show to dispel a little bit. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, James, how about you? I was just going to say that you're you're only as good as your clients as well, aren't you, to a certain extent? So, I mean, if you've got a very flaky client that doesn't really know what they want, or if they're just using you as a free sort of candidate scouting service when they're not really serious about recruiting, or they've maybe not got the budget signed off, that can also reflect badly on on you when it's not necessarily your fault. I mean, is there any due diligence that you do to, to get an idea of, you know, how serious is the client if you've not work with them before? That's a good question, James. I mean, I think we sometimes get asked to look at talent pipelining and discussing, you know, if we were looking for X, what would we need to pay? What kind of skill set would we find in the market? I think that's okay. I mean, look, for, for us, because we're so busy, you know, what we're keen to understand is live requirements. You know, are they growing the team? Are they backfilling a role? Is there a, uh, you know, a contractor that they need or something like that? It is a little bit reactive, the market at the moment. That doesn't make it right. But when the market was slower, and certainly during the, the you know, 2020, when the pandemic really hit the UK, well, hit the world, we were more proactive and able to pipeline more and, and have that more proactive recruitment approach. But I think because of the way the market is and the volume of roles out there, whether you're a one-man band or whether you're, you know, 40, 100 strong, whatever, it is feeling quite sort of, um, you know, reactive, I guess, to, to those job requirements. 
Yeah, yeah. that's a good point, Martin. I think um, certainly from my perspective and, and the way we work at Procure One is that it, you know often it's existing relationships. So um, a lot of the time I'll have worked, I'll have recruited a procurement director and then I'm, I'm ongoing to recruit his team or her team, and they might move to a different business and it's working with them a couple of years down the line. So I think it's working with individuals that are like minded. For us, it's a big why. Why would I work with this organisation? You know, it's not just one way. It's not just you know them selecting me, but what can I really add? And if I can't be an extension of their brand and I don't understand properly their culture, I hate that word, but their sort of um, working environment and, and what they're looking to do in the procurement function, then I'm probably not the recruiter for them. So yeah, it needs to be more than just a picking up the phone. Can you help me recruit? A, it's a longer term piece of work than that for, for us, certainly. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so we've heard about the great reg- resignation. So it feels wrong to be doing a um, procurement podcast without asking you about that. And um, is it a real thing, I guess? And what impact is it having? How can candidates best position themselves when it feels to me that there'll be loads of candidates on the market, loads of roles? What approach would you advise people to do? to position themselves well. And Martin, maybe you can go first this time. In t- in t- sorry, in terms of position themselves when they're resigning or when they're looking at new roles, do you mean, Dave? Sorry, it's probably or- more more looking at new roles, I think. So looking yeah. when there's when there's a lot of um when there's a lot of candidates out there, um, there's also a lot of roles, so there's a lot of movement going yeah. on. How do you best yeah. position yourself well in that kind of in that kind of very fluid market where things are probably moving really quickly? Yeah. So I think firstly, I think nowadays, um, and particularly with with the remote working side of things, I think that's one of the, the it's the number one question for people when they're looking for new roles. You know, what what is the ability to, to be flexible? Now my, my personal belief is this, there should be a blend of both. I, I know there are entirely remote working roles, but I think, you know, in procurement, in a commercially, you know, a commercial minded role, um, you need to see your stakeholders, you need to go and, and see your customers at times. So I think it's just for candidates looking out there, you know, where does the balance strike? Uh, do they invest in people? You know, what is their sustainability agenda? You know, how do they look at DNI within the business? You know, what, what is the long term strategy? How do they value procurement? Is it just a crack your handle type approach or is it something a little bit more strategic and innovative? So, I think they're the questions that people are asking us before they're then looking at what's the pay and pension and all those other sort of benefits. Whereas Rewind sort of 10, 12 years ago, it was just what's the salary? And if it's London, you're in London. And if it's in Berkshire, you know, you're in Berkshire. So I think they're the keys. And I, I put on my um, LinkedIn the other day, it's allowing you to be your authentic self. And, and I think people that feel that they can be empowered in their role, that's the number one. And, that, and that's the true differentiator. That's what we try and encourage our clients to do, you know, talk around your sustainability agenda, talk around the, the culture and the environment and what you're actually doing in procurement. You know, you need to be, because the, the way the market is the moment, clients, businesses need to be selling the opportunity, not just, mm. yes, it's mm. part of our job, but they need to also, when they're having interviews and having those informal chats, that's when they need to be selling the opportunity sort of more. And that's what candidates ultimately is their the number one thing they're kind of looking for. So is it a candidate-led market at the moment, Julie, would you say? Yeah, 100%. I, uh, this great resignation and lots of people on the market I'm not seeing. <laughs> Certainly, there are people looking for a move. I think some of the best people are passively doing that. So they're not out there sending their CV to lots and lots of places. It's a, it's about right time. Keep an eye out for this type of position for me rather than sending their CV off everywhere. I think from a candidate perspective, if you're trying to position yourself amongst others that are going for similar opportunities, it's thinking about the behaviours that 
that, that are required for the role and the soft skills. That's a big piece that we often get asked for from a client perspective. It's, you know, well, it's great on paper. They've got this category or they've worked in this industry, but really how can they push our boundaries so we can add value? Um, how do they influence? Uh, how creative are they in their thinking? All of those things you've got to really be able to explain and sell an interview from a candidate perspective. I agree with everything Martin said. I think um, a big thing I've noticed is not many clients recognise enough how much of a two-way process it is. So I'll often have someone, uh, a first-stage interview, and the client will say, yeah, really like them, great, let's get them booked in for a second without the, how did they find us, you know? Did, did mm-hmm. we anything? Is there anything missing? And I, I just think that's so important, and it says a lot about the business that they want to also understand how that person received them. So, yeah, it's yeah. just about open conversation and, um, and making sure that you're... I guess, like-minded in, in your approach, really. I Just to add to that, I totally agree, Julia. And, and, and to add to that as well, I think procurement have really taken it from the IQ to the EQ more. I think technical experience yep. is really important still for certain roles. But actually, as Julie says, I think clients are looking more around the soft skills and the behaviours, you know, how they interact with stakeholders, how they influence, can they be agile in their communication style and approach? They're the important things. I think within reason, you can kind of learn some of the corporate services categories in certain areas. Maybe IT, as you'll probably agree, both of you, James, Dave is a bit of a nuance in that and you probably need to understand some of the key suppliers in that in that well but I think generally across indirects people are more interested in the behaviors and that ability to influence the c-suite etc they're the number one skills nowadays that's interesting there were a couple of things that I picked up on during that conversation from you both so I think Martin you touched on that one a little bit I was going to say well yes on the one hand we're hearing a lot about soft skills being more and more important and I do believe you know that will be a general trend that will continue but you do tend to see a lot of roles still, you know, insisting on on a certain amount of category experience. And and yes, there are certain categories where it's harder to learn that. And I think IT is probably the best example, you know, CapEx to some extent as well in construction. But um, yeah, you, you are still seeing a lot of employers being very inflexible around considering candidates that are that are coming from maybe a slightly different direction. Whereas whereas in corporate, what I've seen, you know, back when I had a corporate job. I saw a lot of people coming into procurement from functions like finance and SNOP. So there does seem to be a bit of a differential in terms of what companies are looking for in the external market versus who they're willing to consider as internal candidates. The other one I would put, I'd pick up on was one of your comments, Martin, about salary now perhaps not being as important as it was 10 to 15 years ago. I think that's a reflection of if you're able to work remotely or even have a degree of flexibility that has a huge impact on what you're paying for your rent or your mortgage and also what you're potentially paying on paying for childcare costs if you've got kids. And that reflects into obviously what your net take-home pay or your disposable income is. So it's my opinion rather than fact, but I think that is a huge contributing factor towards that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you can't almost put a price on being allowed to be able to, you know, pick your kids up from school every day or, you know, have that run on your lunch break or, you know, have a boss that empowers you to, to be able to do that. I think that that's that's absolutely what we're seeing. I think for me, uh, and, and Julie, it'd be good to get your views on this, but I think what we're trying to actively encourage is our, the businesses that we work with organically grow their own staff, you know, develop buyers into cash key managers because there's a skill shortage in the market. Or as I say, focus on that, those soft skills and behaviours more than the technical attributes because, you know, uh, you, you, if, if you've got the time, you can invest that in your team. And actually, it's, it's a good success story 
and you're probably going to get a better ROI from that. So I think that's a, a potential quick win. I still think there's a lot that can be done in the procurement community to invest in talent. I think mm. the education and SIPs, can, which I'm sure we'll come on to, can, can, have, can have a real big uh, contribution to that as well. I still think there's a lot that can be done there more because there's a skill shortage. You know, we, we have a cash key manager role coming through and it's the same sort of names and the challenges that we, we sort of have, which can create a you know, a big gulf in salaries and inflations. And, and you know, it's it's great that for us we're busy because we've got lots of jobs, but it's kind of redundant if we can't fill them because there's not enough talent. So I think there's certainly a way to be done still. Yeah, 100%. I think that's right. Sorry. Sorry. I think um, Martin makes a good point about organisations looking to um, nurture the talent they've got already. And I find quite often um, a lot of procurement teams are quite flat in their structure. So when an individual is looking for that next challenge or next move, it's not always obvious where that is. And it may not even be on the, the procurement director's radar that that person's even thinking about that but when there is a flat structure I think you need to look at okay what else is there what can we add in what new projects and perhaps giving opportunities sideways almost to get involved in other categories but there's certain organizations certainly around the southeast that do a brilliant job of their grad schemes getting talent in retaining them and looking after them and they never ever need to look for um, specialist recruiters because they're doing a good job internally and they, they've nailed that and yes you might get people coming in and taking those individuals away but it doesn't happen as much as you think so um yeah investing in talent internally is is massive i think and if if you've then got to a certain point in your career in one company and you're looking at the next move potentially a step up and this is something that that i struggled with sort of career-wise as well if you're looking then to take a next step up and and go into a team leadership role that does seem to be a very big rung on the ladder that almost seems unattainable unless you get it fairly early on in your career. What sort of tips would either of you give to anyone that's maybe not got direct people management experience, but is looking to step up into that role? Because unless you're in the right place at the right time, just through happenstance or, or fortuitously, it's, it is very difficult, right? Yeah, I think that's a good, good point. And my, my first bit of advice there would be be proactive, you know, in terms of in, internally in your business and look at it, look and see if there's projects that you can lead on. You know, maybe take take yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, is there something even in like PMO or another area that could 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 link in with a category that you're actually managing at the moment? Because if you haven't got a team and you want to you want to go into that team leader role, if you're leading projects and, and you can demonstrate that you can lead people indirectly through that project management, then then that, that, that's a real good entry point into then direct line management. So be proactive, see what projects that you could potentially lead within your current business um, and understand, you know, talk to your peers and, and directors and the management team to see what, what you can do. I think um, if that is a route you want to go down and, and, and you're trying to find how you can get that direct line management experience is thinking about the business you're working for and asking the right questions at interview as well in terms of how they're structured. Mm. But perhaps size of business is something to have a think about. You know, um, is it likely that you, you can get into a smaller business where you can have one or two people that you might directly manage? I think also sort of following on from what Martin said, I, do, I agree, putting your hand up and volunteering, but also a secondment sometimes outside of procurement, yeah. which will allow you that direct line management is is brilliant you know that there's nothing bad that I think will come off that it will it will make you a better business leader it will will open your eyes to different areas and it doesn't always need to be within procurement I think people worry that if they step outside they're not going to get back in and I I think the reverse is true that it actually makes you more sort of well-rounded so um yeah you've just got to be creative about it and um and ask the right questions really I think 
And also, yeah. just on that point as well, I've just also be honest with yourself if you actually want to manage people. I think certainly if I use it for recruitment, there's a traditional thing that you you, you know you build you build build lots of money and you recruit lots of people. You then automatically get thrown in and manage people. Managing a team doesn't define success. It's it's what you want to get out of a role. It's a bit like a CPO in a business that's overseeing you know three billion spend versus a hundred billion. Well, one's not more successful than the other. It's what you do with it. So and, and that's the same with people management. So I think before you sort of almost take that jump, James, or consider that. Really think what you're looking to try and get out of the role. Is it the team size or is it actually, you know, and you're passionate about developing staff? Because that, that takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort. Or do you actually enjoy the, the the management of projects and the management of category spend? So I think, yeah, before having that, I would just maybe take a pause and reflect and almost have that honest conversation with yourself internally. And because we see it all the time with people that they think just, I need to be managing a team because that defines success and I'll never get more money in my role if I don't have that. That's a myth in the market, in my view. Yeah, good advice. I'd just add, add my own advice, actually, which yeah. is look for opportunities to mentor or coach people as well. Um, internally is another great, another great yeah, tip. Right. So whilst you might, not, you might not be able to get formal line management because someone's managed by someone else, if you have a chat with their manager, just explain that you're really keen to develop those skills. I'm sure they'd be very happy to have you as a, you know, a mentor or coach. Um, so you can also get some of the skills. And more importantly, that gives you the opportunity, um, some of the answers to the standard interview questions like, tell us when you've improved someone's performance or tell us when you've worked with a difficult person. You can then come up with an example, which is a mentored, a junior buyer on how to build a category plan, for example. Um, so I'll just give you that sort of thought. So if you were, a question for me is, if you if you had to pick two things that you would suggest procurement people should focus on developing aren't the traditional category skills what would they be to what do you think the two one or two things are that people should really focus on developing in procurement I think it's a a tricky one to answer that Dave I think it very much depends on the person and and kind of what motivates them because one one thing will float someone's boat and and, and not you know not others so you know a lot of people are on the P2P side or perhaps more analytical and like the systems and 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 should you know focus on roles in that area and others that that's that's not their bag um I think if you want to make yourself marketable for the future it's it's worth keeping an eye on what the trends are and and what the new hot topics are and I'm sure Martin would agree that kind of the sustainability piece is massive I'm having lots of conversations with clients around SRM and Mm -hmm. what they're looking for in that space not from necessarily from a governance and compliance point of view but more about innovation so for me those are the two things I'd say focus one on what what's important to you because at the end of the day that's what it comes down to but to um yeah look at some of these new areas and um where procurement is moving I guess in terms of adding value Great advice, thank you. And, and Martin, yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I think firstly it is 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 invest in invest your time, read up externally on on the market, what procurement trends are going on. I mean, there's clearly the upskilling on tech. We all need to upskill. It doesn't matter what area of category you're doing. You need to understand technology. You need to understand, you know, what digital platforms are out there, the you know, sourcing tools, etc. I think that would benefit in any procurement role. And and as Julie says, I would just echo around the sustainability agenda. You know, if if you don't understand 
sustainable sourcing or you're not not you know you're not sort of up and uh, an understanding of that then then you need to be up you know training yourself and, and upskilling yourself in that in that space and 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 you know to your point day around the mentoring which was a great bit of advice you know work shadow from others that are doing a different category learn from what they're doing and, and the skill sets because you know i think as more as much experience you want to be a sponge get as much experience much exposure um, and much insight from from peers and, and more senior people around you you can learn a heck of a lot from that Good stuff. If anyone wants us to ask a question, actually, while well, I come to mention it, and then James will ask the next question, just pop it in the comments because um, we can uh, we can put it to our guests at the end of the session. But James, do you want to um, do you want to ask the next question? Yeah, just one that I would add to that actually as well, which I think is is something that we don't often recognise is that procurement are generally procurement professionals are pretty bad bad expressing themselves and about internal communication and these. You know, essentially as recruiters, your salespeople, sales and marketing skills for procurement, I think are, are, are really, really valuable. You know, if you look at the way that sales or environmental health and safety communicate their initiatives internally, they're so much better at doing it than procurement are. And I think if you put your procurement team and your sales or your marketing department together in a conference room, assuming that everyone's back, back in an <laughs> office environment and just make them talk to each other and drink coffee together for two days, I swear you would get so much more value than that from that than spending ten thousand euro on on a negotiation training that probably is revision for most procurement professionals anyway. I, I genuinely do believe I'm not saying negotiation isn't important, of course it is, but to send people repeatedly on negotiation training rather than upskilling them in other areas and you know a knowledge of the tech ecosystem, I can certainly you know echo that as being vital too. Uh, I, I do think it's a missed opportunity and it's it's free, isn't it? You've got procurement and sales in every company. Put them together, get them to speak. I agree with that. I was just going to say, James, I agree with that. And I think, you know, certainly I know Julie has as well. You know, back in the day, we'd go to these big procurement conferences. Recruiters would go and sit there and spend tens of thousands of pounds in hiring out a hotel and trying to invite all these people. And then, you know, I, I, as you know, I host the, the Talent Talks podcast and it, it, we capture our listeners. It's just, you know, one-on-one and then we get the audience in from there. It doesn't cost any money for them to join. They can do it remotely like everyone's doing today on this and actually going to get real more value out, I believe to not only our brand, but also those individuals that are, that are listening in. So yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah, the question I was going to ask you is, are, are you seeing much development in terms of the move away from permanent roles towards the contingent workforce? You know, be that interims or be it sort of fixed consulting assignments. There, there is obviously this ongoing conversation about the workforce needs to become more flexible and generally speaking there'll be less permanent roles and and more of a gig economy in the future anecdotally i'm not really seeing it in procurement recruitment i'm seeing it in tech companies but yeah not necessarily in in the procurement recruitment market it'd be interesting to get your thoughts yeah i mean i probably do less on the interim side but certainly have conversations and keep an eye on on kind of day rate interim work i think i haven't noticed a particular shift i think it's you know it, it's it's kind of the IR35 struggles have um, have changed things and I, I do work with businesses that are trying to find interim talent on a fixed term contract basis which just is a myth and is it just doesn't work and they wonder why they can't find people because you know it's it's worst of both worlds really so I think um that's a, a, you know we've got live fixed term contract roles that you're just going to try and capture someone leaving a permanent role in between work it just, just doesn't happen so I'm sure that it will come back James I think you know that that market will be will be more buoyant in the future most definitely but there's still a nervousness around bringing in lots of uh, day rate 
contractors. And actually, from that point, I don't know if you found the same, Martin, but we've taken on a lot of um, candidates that were previous senior day raters that are, now can't get contracts that are inside that want permanent roles. Then they try and translate their day rate into a permanent salary. And you think, well, it doesn't quite work like that. But you know, that's <laughs> making the talent in the senior space much more competitive. I'd say there's, you know, you'd have a great shortlist for a head of procurement, procurement director position compared to a junior category manager, 100%. There's much more talent in that space. Um, and I think that that is driven a lot by the, the changes of, um, of interim work. I don't know if you agree, Martin. Yeah, no, I certainly would agree. I mean, I think I think certain sectors are seeing more of a buoyant market in interim space. I think public sector and defence we're seeing as two areas where that people are investing uh, a lot more. You know, and, and obviously in the consultancy world, which we do quite a lot of work in as well, where uh, the consultancy will win a project and then they suddenly need you know ten SE cleared contractors on site on that client. So then we've got to be you know spinning those plates and getting those people in. So public sector and defence and consultancy, I would say there's still quite an appetite to bring in contractors. I think in, in environments like retail FMCG, I think they're just recovering and getting that continuity back of permanent resource within the business because clearly sectors like that and hospitality and aviation, they are the ones that particularly impacted with COVID. What you unfortunately saw was when COVID hit was the contractors were almost uh, last in, first out. Sadly, it's a resource which is relatively easy to get uh, to get rid of. You know, it doesn't make it right, of course, but that was the reality of what happened. And then it was trying to protect as much permanent resource as that business was able to do. So the interim piece as a result has has been sort of recovering slowly and, and, and obviously quicker in, in certain uh, certain sectors, like I mentioned. That's and, interesting. Um, so you're, you're saying then that you're seeing more senior people that had previously been contractors because of IR35, which if anyone who's not familiar with it, it's UK legislation that basically treats a lot of day rate contractors as de facto employees. That's driven a lot of them then towards taking perm roles because they don't want to be an employee with none of the benefits, I guess, through having to work inside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also because the roles are more agile working, those contractors, whereas before they were happy to sort of travel and do that because they can actually work from home with that, the, the money is less, as we said earlier, there's less, there's slightly less financial pressure because they can do that from home and, and therefore take the risk in, in taking a permanent role. That's interesting. Dave, sorry, I I cut you off. You wanted to ask? No, no. I was just going to ask, um, is there a trend of people spending less time in companies now, would you say? Moving around, moving around more more regularly? Yes, because certain businesses are are throwing the cash around to try and get staff in because there's a skill shortage and therefore someone that's been in a role and, you know, has has only been in a position and already had a nice pay rise and they get, you know, 10, 15 grand elevations going elsewhere. So they move, they move quicker. So yeah, it's a market which is moving. The the lifespan now of a procurement cash manager, I'd love to know the stats. I haven't got the data, but I'd love to know what the sort of typical lifespan now is of a of a cash key manager on that sort of upward track. I would imagine it'd be, you know, under two years now, potentially in some cases. So um, yeah, we're seeing people move a lot quicker nowadays. And actually, procurement directors and CPOs, they're not really bat- batting an eyelid if they, they are moving within that time, you know, within reason, of course. But if someone's been in a business 18 months and then, you know, if they're good enough for the role, they'll still they'll still sort of engage and, and appoint. Yeah, well, it's a valid reason, isn't it? And is that why um, a lot of companies put confidential for the salaries? They don't want to um, advertise to their internal team. I know that's a bugbear of yours, Dave, isn't it? I've seen your, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little yeah, campaign, little campaign yeah, of mine is to get people to be open about salaries on, on adverts. Yeah, well, LinkedIn officially doesn't let you uh, uh, do that. I mean, we do, and I know Julie does, but um, some, some, so they don't actually like you doing that. They don't advise it when they put out their jobs, which oh, I don't really either. Yeah, they, they don't, you'll notice if it's a, it's a direct job advert, very rarely they'll do that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think, yeah, 
I think that it, it gives them some some a, a wider pool to go with. If they put confidential, you could potentially get a hundred k candidate and a fifty k candidate going in for the role. So I think it widens their net. I think there is a, a conscious reason why some businesses sort of do that to, to widen it. But yeah, look, it needs to be transparent because there's no point applying for the job if it's 30, 40, 50 grand below what you're kind of expecting. And Julie, do you think do you think this is a reason why people aren't investing in training their teams? Because if someone's going to walk in two years, why bother training them? Is that part of the um, part of the thought process or is that... No, I, think that's, I think that would be a bit of a, sh- a short-sighted view. I'm sure it does happen. It but- is. You know, I think it's important because ultimately you want to be bringing on your team. You want that training and development piece to be there because you need to be an employer that's attracting those people into your business and keeping them. So, yeah, I'm sure that happens. I think it's very short sighted. Yeah, I just it's tricky. I think the nurturing piece and finding I think is important in an organisation, but also a manager you want to work for and are inspired by is really key. One really important thing I think I've found in the last sort of six months is the move to completely remote working. I know we're sort of jumping around here a bit, but is, I don't know, it's problematic for some individuals. I think what Martin said earlier on in having a, a mix is the way forward. Uh, it's very personal. You're going to get those that want to be in the office all the time and those that don't all the time. But if you go too far remote, you're not going to get these chances for the mentoring you mentioned, Dave, earlier and for the, sort of get, getting that, um, the upskilling by a junior member watching and shadowing. So I think it's dangerous to go uh, towards, we can have people working anywhere because I know it works in certain environments, but I think it's a problem for, for some people looking for jobs. So they want, they want to go into the office sometimes. It's yeah. hard to create the culture. It's hard to create that culture as well, yeah. isn't it? When you're, I mean, it's a challenge. You mentioned earlier we're growing our business at the moment, uh, and the guys are typically working remotely, and we're together sort of one or two days a week. But trying to create the culture and the, the training and upskilling people and stuff, it's very hard to do remotely. I think we also need to be really aware of mental health uh, when we start talking around that that sort of uh, homeworking piece. If someone's uh, in a you know one bedroom flat in London, you know, and they want to be in their office, they want to be around the mates. Particularly if I think back to sort of you know when when I was a bit younger and I was in the city working in agency, you know, you go for beers on Thursdays, you socialise as a team, you celebrate your successes. I think that's really important for organisation. Like Judy says, it's a personal preference to me. There are people we talk to that just want to be 100% remotely because it suits their lifestyle, and that's fine. But I think in any sort of commercial role, whether it's procurement or wider field. I think there needs to strike a balance, both from a stakeholder and supplier engagement, but as a team and really creating that culture. Because I know there's a lot of CPOs that haven't even um, met some of their their staff that they've hired in the last few years. (laughs) It's incredible, isn't it? It's amazing. It is, yeah. It's interesting to hear that. I would disagree up to a point, but with a logical reason. I mean, I think that companies would have to go either all or nothing. Either they need to go 100% remote or they need to sort of stick to a back-to-office model, albeit with perhaps, you know, a, a designated day each week that people will work from home or even perhaps walking to work, moving to a four or four and a half day week to compensate. Because if you've got a hybrid situation where people are sort of going loosey-goosey into the office just a couple of days a week that they sort of pick and choose... It's very difficult then to get, the, as you alluded to, Martin, to get the benefits of culture and team building if if you're not going to have all of your team together at any given point in time every week. And I think that's that's potentially an issue that that, that then you're going to deal with. And then also, you also risk then if you've got a boss that just happens to prefer to go to the office every day, and there are team members that do as well, they're going to be the ones that are getting promoted or that are going to have the unfair advantage because they're going to have a closer relationship with their manager. So it can be, I think, discriminatory as well. 
I, 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 I follow your logic. I, I would sort of respectfully disagree, but I follow where you're coming from. But yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I think it has to be either all or all, all one way or all the other. I think it's just about setting the expectation up front with people. You know, we ask our clients beforehand. You know, what, what is your home working and, and flexible working kind of policy? I think if that that boss sort of sets expectation before that, you know, we have it one of our clients where they're in on a Monday, they do their team meeting, and the rest of the week is agile. I think if you have that upfront expectation set at the start, and to your point, I agree, rather than just being vague and saying, come in when you want or when you don't want, I think it should be a personal choice for that individual. But having some level of structure there, I think would, would certainly benefit. Sorry, Julie, come on. No, it's, I was just following on from what James said. I think if from a recruitment perspective, if a client says to me, we're either one or the other, we're five days office or we're five days home, uh, immediately that cuts out. Uh, I don't even know what the percentage would be, but that my pool is much, much smaller for which whichever one it is. So when I'm talking to people about what, they're, what they would like, the majority will say a 3-2 model, either three in two out, two in, yeah. three home. And, yeah. uh, and I agree with what Martin said, you need a day where everyone's in to get that team kind of interaction. So yeah, I, I, it's just from what people tell me, but yeah, it will rule. If you go one or the other, your pool of people, if you can't hire being flexibly, you're never going to hire that way. So um, yeah, there's no there's no right answer to this. No, it's, it's, quite an emotive topic. It's, it's quite an emotive topic, isn't it? It's a very yeah, personal yeah. choice. I, I, I personally would think that if, if any of our clients turn around and say it's five days in the office, you wouldn't have hardly, you know, there wouldn't be many applications, to be honest with you. I think yeah. there is one or two businesses I could think of that have done that stance yeah. because of various reasons, but they're ones we struggle to recruit for and we do try and challenge them back on that. So Interesting. Just conscious of the time, Dave, have you got any thoughts or final questions before we sign off? Yeah, is there anything, um, if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself? Is there anything, any message that you want to leave people that we haven't given you the opportunity to leave to a question? Would be my final my my final question for you. I think if I go first, Martin. Um, for me, in the world of procurement, it's a small it's a small space. So if you are a candidate or a client or a supplier, it doesn't it doesn't actually matter who you are. I think just treat everyone well and be genuine. I know your word is authentic, Martin. But if you if you just go into your business relationships in the right way, uh, doing the right thing, and being fundamentally a good person, I, I know it's a bit of a cliche. I think it's you know you, you it's going to come back around and. Uh, and I think that's important whether you're looking for a job or you're hiring, because at the end of the day, it's all a community of people, right? And w- one minute you're recruiting, one minute you're looking for a job. And, and I think just being yourself and, um, and respectful and, and, and networking is, is my tip, I would say. Yeah, so I totally agree with all of that. I try not to use the word authentic all the time, so I feel like it's an overused word that I have in my vocabulary. But, <laughs> but I, and I and I think you know, be brave as well. Be brave. You know, go out there if you if you think you're good for a role, go and apply. Talk to that recruiter. You know, networking is is so crucial. You know, in in modern day business. So you know, be proactive. You know, be brave in terms of posts. I think some people overthink what they sometimes worry about, what they're going to post on LinkedIn or will it get the right engagement. Do what do what you do. Shoot from the hip. You know, be do it, make it personal, make it professional. Do what you're passionate about and be true to yourself when you're looking for a role. Don't just think about the payday. Don't just think about the brand. Look at, you know, we, we talked about it earlier, but look around. You know, what are they, if you feel passionately about sustainability, look at businesses that have got a good agenda around that. You know, uh, businesses that, promote DNI within the within the function. It's something that, that I'm very passionate about. So I think they should be the real key metrics when you are looking for a role. But be brave, be proactive. And and as Julie says, you know, there's a really wonderful community out there in the procurement world. So, you know, nurture those relationships that you've got and develop those because you never know when you're going to need them. The last question I wanted to ask before we sign off is, 
are, recru- are you as recruiters seeing employers, especially given that we've got an international audience, are recruiters, are, are employers that are struggling to get talent, maybe at that sort of more ent- entry level or junior level, are they are they willing to consider non-UK based candidates? You know, are, are they willing to sponsor candidates? It's a mix, James, depending on the company. It's quite a case by case basis. Generally speaking, yeah. some of the larger corporates that have a global presence will sponsor you know, visas, obviously the dreaded B word has been a challenge and made it a bit of a challenge with, with people entering. We've lost a lot of skilled migrant workers coming, you know, going back to other countries. So, you know, that, that, that is a challenge. It's a, it's, a, it's a skill shortage we're seeing across all sectors. But yeah, generally speaking, if, you're, if you have a global footprint as a business, generally speaking, they will be more susceptible uh, or accepting to, to visa sponsorships and supporting people coming into the UK. If they're a UK-centric business, it can be a little bit more dicey and a little bit more risk averse for that, James, now, to be honest yeah. with you. That has changed. I think a lot more business was susceptible to that before. But yeah, that would be my view. Yeah, I think that's that's right. Um, I think that generally they have to exhaust the internal route and the um, UK job market first before there's a case to to do that. But um, I don't see it happen hugely often in, in the roles I'm recruiting, to be honest with you. It tends to be someone that's already based here or, you know, it might be um, someone that's worked abroad but is now here and, and it's got right to work. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't happen a lot, so I don't find that's really interesting to know, just in a in a changing world and a changing environment. And as you said, you know, with the impact of Brexit as well. Martin, Julie, thank you very much for joining us. If anyone would like to get in touch with you, uh, where is the best place to reach out? I'm guessing probably LinkedIn, but do you want to just give a quick plug before we sign off? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on there or martin at talentdrive.co.uk if you want to drop me an email. Yeah, exactly the same on LinkedIn. Really happy to chat to anyone, especially if you're also you're not actively looking right now, but just want to have a chat about the market. Um, sometimes it's uh, it's those best conversations which are um, a, a little bit timely. So yeah, uh, same as Martin, LinkedIn and Julie at procureone.co.uk. Awesome. Dave, so well, thank you for co-hosting and taking the weight off my shoulders and uh, yeah, wishing everyone that is maybe on the lookout or casually browsing uh, a successful time in uh, in their search. So yeah, good luck, everyone, and speak to you again next month. Have a great Thanks day as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Yes, bye.